Well, I'm exhausted watching that. I don't know about you. I went to a wedding last Saturday. I tried to dance. It was ugly. Man, it's just so great. That, that group is called Under the Radar, and Chris attends here and his choreography and leading that group through. So it's just been awesome to celebrate the arts together as a part of this transformational series and to see what God is up to. Um, wanted to just welcome you here to The Crossing today. If you're watching online, we are so glad that you're doing that. We have a couple microsites as well where people are gathered in homes around, around the country, literally, that are joining us in worship today. So if you're out there watching, we just want to say hello to you. Before we jump into our conversation today, I want to celebrate something with you. And that is last week, um, we had Lauren Diaz, who was here from The Voice, and she did her thing. It was amazing. And then we had Todd. Um, Clark, who was our featured artist and artifact with his photography, and many of you went out to the lobby and you were able to see Todd's prints and some of the stuff that he does through EDART, which feeds kids around the world in impoverished areas. And he texted me a couple days ago and said, over 31,000 meals will be able to be sent out because of the purchases that you guys made of the art in over nine countries. And so that is just crazy and awesome. Well, you've, you've already figured it out. We're in this Transform series, and most of you are going through the study guide, hopefully on a daily basis. You're sticking with it, or you're in a small group. Um, we started a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to do some art. I'm not the artist, but I'm going to do some art. If you were here at the beginning of the series, the very first week, Shane kind of introduced this, and I, I want to build on it today. We talked about the idea behind this series is... Uh, Simply this is that if this is, if this is really God's objective for our life, this is us transformed, that the challenge we really have, and we looked at Romans when we talked about the fact that we struggle with just living a life that is conformed. You guys remember that? And, and this idea that the, the series, the conversations we're having is really about this space between, because this is generally where we spend a lot of time, where we may be, and this is where we want to go. And so all the conversations you're having both here on the weekends, but in the different outlets throughout the series and our conferences, etc., are all about this, is how do we get this to become this? And I was thinking about some of the causes of that uh, this week, and I thought one of the root causes of why we struggle in this space is chaos. Right? And a lot of you, you understand what I'm talking about, like you, you may have had chaos this morning. Like when you go home this afternoon, your house is a wreck because of this morning, right? You just left it and walked out. We got to get there. Maybe you went through the McDonald's drive-thru on the way. So when you go out to your car, it's going to smell like old fries. You're throwing food at your kids in the backseat. We got to get to check-in. It's a long line. It's chaos. Maybe your emails are piling up. The text messages you haven't returned right? The financial margin is shrinking. The noise of just our society, of just the things that are thrown at us and the things that we need to be doing. A lot of you are feeling that. You're feeling chaos. And here's what the chaos does, is the chaos keeps us from getting from here to there. Here's another one. Confusion. I went to Ikea this week. It was the first... It's the first time I've ever been there by myself. I, I, I ventured in. That place is a trip. And, and I feel like everybody in there is lost, just like me. Like, we're all lost. We're afraid to say it. Like, we're just, uh, but we're all, like, lost. And they get you in there, and you're like a mouse chasing cheese. And you don't really know where you're going. 
And they've got these secret exits, but you have to be too sharp. You have to be sharper than I am to find them. So you're just stuck and you just continue to follow the arrows, right? And you're trying to get out of there and you're so confused and you're lost and you're overwhelmed. You're just glad to buy something and get out. I thought Costco was bad. Ikea is another level. And for us in our lives, confusion and, and being overwhelmed is just a major factor in us staying conformed and not really being able to be transformed. We're just, we're kind of driven down the path, right, of wherever, and we're kind of confused, but we're just following the leader. The last word I want to write up here is this word, and it's, it's an important one. It's culture. It's our culture, right? It's, it's the things around us. We all have a culture, like you have a home culture, we have a church culture. We have a work culture. And, and all of these things are doing this. They want to, by nature, pull us down more towards conformity than being transformed. Now, Jesus said this. One of the first things he said, and it was threaded through all of his ministry and all his teaching, he said this about culture. He said, the kingdom of God is here. He's like, when he, when he showed up, he said, the kingdom of God is here. Now, the kingdom of God is a big conversation. And we understand there's different parts of it. Like there's the part of the kingdom of God allows us to be in relationship with God, to, to live in a personal relationship with him and to live out our life. That's one aspect of the kingdom of God. There's also heaven. There's what happens after we're done here on earth. And there's an aspect of that where we will be in God's presence and we will experience the kingdom of God at its fullest. But there's another thing that Jesus said and taught. He said this, the kingdom of God is near the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in you. What he was basically saying is this. What I am introducing is a different culture. It's a counter culture to what you've experienced. And if you will follow the kingdom of God, what continues to try to conform you, you will, you will push away from that and you will have the opportunity to be transformed. But culture, it's like air. Right? It's invisible. None of you woke up this morning and your first thought when you opened your eyes was, I hope I have enough air today. Right? We just breathe. We just breathe. It's there, it's invisible, but we trust that it's there. Now the only time, the only time you think about air is one, when it's lacking, or two, when it's bad. So if you go up to like 5,000, 6,000 feet, you go to some elevation and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of feeling it in your chest like, man, I can't breathe as well. And so you're very aware of, man, my, I have a little bit of shortness of breath and I really hope there's enough air up here, right? And, and you feel that. Or when you're in the car with your family and someone changes the air quality in the car, everybody's pointing fingers, right? And you're like, okay, the air is bad. Roll the windows down. And that's kind of like culture, Right? It's invisible, but it's there all the time. We just don't know it because it's determinate. Like, you don't see it, but it's determinate. If, if you change the culture, you will change the outcome. If your culture is toxic, it's going to lead you to a place that's toxic. If your culture is healthy, then it's going to lead you to a place that is healthy. So we want to have a culture in our lives that not only describes where we currently are, but also prescribes where we want to be. So in this Transform series, kind of what we're trying to do and what Jesus was talking about when he said, here's the kingdom of God is, here's a picture 
Let me paint a picture of what it can look like if you're really living out the fullness of God's plan. And then let's all move and live and, and really try to move towards that picture in our lives. And that's the process that we are in, in living that out. And that's the culture that you and I are about. And the word culture actually comes from the root word cultivate. Cultivate. It stems from this idea that we all basically have the same raw materials to work with. But out of, all, out of those raw materials, we all, in our own unique way, use it and form it and make it go to form a culture. That's what we do. And so the culture is really the shaping of raw materials and the soil of our lives that God has given us. So with that in mind, I want to do something crazy today. You want to get a little crazy today, all right? I want us... I want us to go to the part of the Bible that some of you haven't been at in a long time. If, if you read the Bible, try to read the Bible through in a year, all right, most of you stop at Leviticus, right? It's like Genesis, cool, Exodus, Leviticus, done, right? We're actually going to go to Leviticus today, all right? So, you know, like some people say, oh, at the crossing, they don't teach the Bible. We're going to Leviticus, foo, all right? So that's where we're at today, all right? So I just, I, you can record that and play it back. I want you to go there, Leviticus chapter 25. So I'm going to give you a little extra time because some of you, like, you're like, where's Leviticus? You're in the index right now. It's okay. You'll find it, all right? It's like third book in. As you go there, you do need to understand, actually, that Leviticus has some powerful stuff. It has a lot of the promises of God. It says a lot about the culture. Let me say that again. It says a lot about the culture that God prescribes for us. All right? And the, and the context of what we're about to read is this. The Israelites have been in the wilderness, and they're about to go into this land that God has promised to them. They're about to go and experience this picture of what God had promised, but God is giving Moses some instructions that he is then to pass on to the Israelites because they have an opportunity. When they move into this land, they have an opportunity to work with brand new raw material and to cultivate a culture like no one has ever seen before. That's really what God had in mind when he took the Israelites out of Egypt and was taking them to this land. He's like, you can, you can have a God-centered culture like no one has ever experienced before, so let me help you do that. But in the midst of reading this, I feel like at some points God's just got to be thinking, here it is, you're not going to do it, all right? Here it is, you're not going to do it, but you're going to be shocked at what we're about to read and how relevant it is today, all right? Verse 1, Leviticus, you, you found it? Good. Leviticus, verse 1, we're going to read all the way to the 13th verse. I told you, we're getting crazy, all right? Here it is. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, this is, you remember this spot because this is where he had received the Ten Commandments. The Lord said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land, okay, they're about to enter the land, haven't got there yet, but when you get there, I am, when you enter the land, I am giving you the land itself, okay, catch this, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. Okay, stop for just a second. So remember, in the midst of the commandments, God had told the people in a personal way, every, on the seventh day, you're supposed to rest. You're supposed to stop. There's not supposed to be any work that's going to happen. And now God's taking it to another level because he's saying in the seventh year, the land is actually going to take a Sabbath. Some of you... Um, are like farmers, or you like seen a farm, 
or you've driven around where there's farms. And, and you might notice that there actually is some farmers who are still practicing this process today where they are taking certain sections or certain fields and in a rotation basis, they are just letting the field sit. And so they're taking the soil and they're saying to the soil, it's time for you to have a Sabbath. As I was reading about this this week, I was sad to learn actually that some farmers have found a shortcut. And so they've taken chemicals and instead of taking the year off in the land, they just spray the land with chemicals that will restore some of those nutrients that are supposed to happen naturally so they can keep kicking crops out of those fields. And unfortunately, it's not working too well. It's still depleting the soil to the point where it was not intended. So God says this. He says, just like you need rest, the land itself needs rest. And then he goes on. He says the following. For six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crop. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. You getting a theme here? It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops. So don't plan for this. Don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. Don't go out and try to pick away at that. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during the Sabbath. So sometimes when a farmer lets a land go fallow, and let's say they had planted corn the years prior, there's still going to be some of that that's going to come up. It's in the soil. It's on its own. And so God says, when that comes up, feel free to grab eat and be able to feed yourself, it's not a problem. And some of the entrepreneurs, maybe in the room, but actually reading this, are thinking, okay, how do we get around this, right? Because this is a problem for production, and and, and God's way ahead of them, because he says, this applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. You can't outsource this, God says. No clever strategies. Everybody is off for a year. Verse 7. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. And then God just gets, he gets nuts. He's, he, he's not done, right? So every, every, six, every seven days, every seven years, and then he says this. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement was the day that they celebrated. Everything was made right between God and man, and Jesus is the ultimate atonement for you and I. But on this Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belongs to your ancestors and return to your own clan. Some of you are not sure about this. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that time, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own and don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee, God's emphasizing, a jubilee year for you. And you must keep it holy, but you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. Verse 13. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. Every seven days, you rest. Every seven years, the land rests. Every seven times seven, everything resets. It goes back to its original state. 
You think God had in mind a different culture than you and I have been sucked into as far as the rhythm of rest and replenishment and reset? He did. And all the real estate people in the room are freaking out right now and are glad about the New Testament, right? But God says you have to build a rhythm into your life that is sustainable and fair. And most of us don't. A-driven type people, they read that and they think it's crazy. And the Israelites probably did too. Because as near as we can tell, Old Testament theologians and historians, most of them think that the year of Jubilee at year 50, most of them think it was never practiced. They never actually celebrated a year of Jubilee. Even the seven years of Sabbath for the land, there's pretty strong evidence, even in the scripture itself, that they never did it. It was so impractical that we're not certain that they ever did this. You know the only time the Israelites practiced the seven years? It says this in Chronicles. You can read it later, 1 Chronicles 36. It says, the Babylonians came and they invaded the land and they took all the Israelites and they took them out of their homes and out of their neighborhoods and off their lands. And in that moment, God says, you never let the land rest, so now it'll rest. Finally. And it made me think this. If you don't take the Sabbath, the Sabbath takes you. If you refuse to get into that rhythm that God desires, if you stay in this space where it keeps pushing you down into conforming, conforming, conforming. And then we're frustrated because the transformation that we believe God wants for us, that we believe God has for us, but we may actually be frustrated with God because it just doesn't seem to be happening. But we're living in a rhythm of chaos and confusion and in a culture that's not setting us up for that. Living at an unsustainable pace will take you to an unsustainable place what happened to the Israelites. And I believe the greatest threat to our transformation are these two words, speed and fatigue. The greatest threat for most of you in the midst of this is speed and fatigue. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I went to Cedar City, which is awesome, and we went to run a little uh, half marathon, a little 13-mile race, and we went to do that, but we also went because it was like 40 degrees in the morning there. And, you know, you come out of July and August here, and you're like, 40 degrees, like, oh, my gosh. And so we went, and the race was really early. Like, it started at 7, and so we had to get up early, and they bust us up the mountain. And all the runners went up to the top of the mountain. It was pitch dark, and when we got there, they had fires everywhere. And so you, all the runners were huddled around the fires waiting for the sun to come up, and so we could head to the start line. And, and so we didn't really know where we were. And then they said, okay, we need to head up to the start line. The sun's starting to come up, so we, we walked up about... 200 yards and I was literally like right on the as I'm on the edge of this platform I was on the start line as someone up I looked down and it it just looked like a ski slope I mean it was just straight downhill and I was pumped if you're a runner man you look down here you're like I am pumped and so they started the race it was kind of informal so the guy just said go there was no like gun or anything like that he said go and so we all took off and man I was moving like my legs were moving, like my head could not keep up with my legs. I was just leaning back. I was going. And everybody was smiling, you know. It's like, we we're fast. And my first mile was, it was fast. Like, I won't tell you because some of you will be embarrassed. It was so fast. I mean, it was quick. 
And I had this app that I was using that runners and bikers and people wear, where it kind of keeps your pace and tells you how far you're going. And so I had my headphones and I had programmed it to, to keep me on pace for the 13 miles. And after the first mile, the gal, whoever the gal is, she came in my ear and she said, your current pace is fast. Your current pace is fast. And then she literally said this, slow down. Slow down. That's what it said in my ear. So I'm, I'm running mile two, mile three, mile four. After about six miles, she must have been exhausted. <laughs> because at every mile, it was the same thing. Slow down. I could not slow down. And I thought about that in the sense of our lives. Like, wouldn't it be great if there was something in our ear that in the middle of the chaos and the confusion that you're sensing that would just say, slow down. Right? It's, it's the middle of the morning, and, and it just says, slow down, and you would stop and pay attention. I think there actually is. I think that what God is saying through his word and through the culture that God is trying to set for us, is, it's really that availability for him to say to us, slow down. It's really what God was saying to Moses and what Moses relayed to the Israelites, slow down. So I want to give you two practical steps, okay? Because this series is an actionable series. Sometimes series like, oh, that made me feel good. I got a lot of hope and I'm going. This is like, you got to do something, all right? So I want to give you two things to write down. Here's number one. Number one is we need to look at replenishment over rest. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, I need a nap. Okay, you probably do, and you should do that today. But what I'm talking about is not like I'm tired, I need to sleep, right? Because a lot of you know like when you're tired and you rest and you get up and you may be physically a little more awake, but that, that sense of, of life and chaos and all that, it doesn't go away just because you take a nap. When I'm talking about replenishment, I'm talking about something that's really aggressive, that's really actionable, right? And so when, they, when God said to the Israelites, let the land sit, you notice that he said, let the livestock work out onto the land. So what you need to understand is during that year where the land was resting, there was a lot of stuff still going on, right? The livestock were out there. They were eating up the, the, the grass and the weeds. They were stirring up the soil. They were fertilizing the crop or the, the soil that was there. And so there's no way, shape, or form where that soil was actually resting. The better word for it is it was replenishing, right? It was all the nutrients that it needed in order for it to, to be healthy and to bring forth the crop that it was supposed to bring were being rebuilt up in that process. And so for you to just take a nap is kind of like spraying chemicals on the field, right? It's not going to get deep into the soil of your soul. It's not going to replenish you in a way where everything gets shut off and you move and you go. A couple weeks ago, I got to go to Montana. I was privileged to go learn how to fly fish. And I was in a boat. Shane and I were actually in the boat at the same time. One time I cast and just hooked him in the back of the ear. He could have died, but he didn't. Um, and we're out there, and I'm telling you what. You talk about replenishment, right? You're out on the water. Your phone doesn't work. Nobody can find you. They don't know where you are. It's peaceful, and you're just casting, and there's this little thing. It's, if you're an amateur, it's called a bobber, but we call it an indicator, all right? And so you would stare at this indicator all day long, and all you would do is just wait for the fish. And the first night, they told us, now, we're going to go fishing tomorrow for 10 hours. You're looking at this guy, and I'm going, 10 hours? I leaned over the guy next to me, 10 hours? You know how fast that 10 hours went by? It was like, guys, we got to go in at 7 o'clock at night. I thought, really? Because all I did all day was look at that indicator. Right? 
But what happened was, it was the most replenishing experience I'd ever had in some ways. Because everything in here got shut off, and I was able to start letting God speak, and my mind was clear and all of that. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to find that discipline of replenishment in your life and lean into it in a big way. And I want to tell you this right now. Build it into your calendar. Some of you are like, man, my calendar's full. Exactly. Like you need to literally right now stop and put type replenishment and find blocks of time where that will happen. Because what we need to understand is I have to make intentional what I hope will become instinctive in my life. I have to make an intentional move for things that right now are not instinctive. So until it becomes that, plug it in, that replenishment rhythm in your life. And that relates to your physical health. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Some of us, we need to replenish where we're at physically and what we're eating, how much time we're spending exercising and maintaining this shell that God has given us, right? I know we're just renting it, but some of us are treating it like the rental car where we buy all the insurance and we drive it over the medians and through trash cans because we don't care. We're just throwing them the keys. We need to treat this body in the way that God would desire for us. And that's part of that cycle of replenishment. Here's the second one. We need to talk about deposits over withdrawals. Deposits over withdrawals. All right. Some of you, you're making withdrawals spiritually, withdrawals emotionally, withdrawals physically, and all you're doing in your life is withdrawals, 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 withdrawals. No deposits. And so if we did that financially, all of us know what that looks like. Some of us have experienced that. We call that bankrupt. Some of us are on the edge of that when it comes to our lives because you're the person, you're, if all the relationships that you're investing in are all about you pouring into them, you're getting frazzled because you're making all the withdrawal. If, if you're at work and you're the cubicle where everybody comes and they're pouring out their problems, they're counseling, and you're doing that and you're like, man, I'm frazzled. I, it's because it's withdrawal, 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 right? If spiritually you're not taking the time intentionally Quiet time, rebuilding time, community time. Some of you, this is the first time in this series that you're actually making deposits. You're literally got that transform study guide. It's not a magic book, but you've got it next to your next to your bed and you're opening it up every day and you're grinding through that. Some of you, you're meeting in a group last week, this week, you're like, man, these strangers, they might actually be my friends. And you're like going to this group, and all of a sudden what you're doing is you're starting to make deposits into what God wants to do in your life. And that's starting a pattern of replenishment that's going to pay off in the long term. Because that's really what this series is about. As we close. It's how do we get from here to here? And how do we navigate through the culture that wants us to be overwhelmed and confused and wants to throw so much chaos at us? How do we do it? When I got to the end of that race last week, I got to the bottom, man. That was the fastest I'd ever run a race. I was pumped. But on Monday, I was not pumped. I have never hurt in my legs so much as when that was over. Not just Monday, but Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I thought, I may never run again. Because here's the truth. What I did on Saturday wiped me out for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The speed at which I ran on Saturday, as fun as that was, cost me a ton the following week. And some of you guys can relate to that because the speed and the fatigue at which you are leading your life is costing you as you move forward. So ask yourself this question. Am I living in a way today that will help me to thrive 
tomorrow? Am I living in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? And don't just answer it, but do something. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus had something very clear to to say to us about this. He said the following. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? You can raise your hand, all right? You tired? You worn out? You burned out? He says this. Come to me. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. What he's saying is you need more than just a nap. Let me get into your heart and soul. Walk with me. Work with me. And watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. So if you live at an unsustainable pace, you will find yourself in an unsustainable place. And I want you just to think for a moment with this on the screen. Where, where are the unsustainable places of your life that you now find yourself? Where are they? Some of you are sitting in this place today and you are fighting fatigue, not just physical fatigue, but spiritual fatigue, emotional fatigue. And Jesus is inviting you to a place of replenishment. Some of you today, you're running too fast. He's inviting you to a place of replenishment. Some of you are feeling overwhelmed. He's inviting you to a place of replenishment. Some of you are feeling exhausted. He's inviting you to a place of replenishment. You're you're tired of the same old, same old. You're stretched to the limits. You're afraid in your thoughts. You're out of shape. He's inviting you to a place of replenishment. And so I want you to leave this place today not just going, yeah, I need to do that. Don't do that. Because otherwise the church just becomes like that personal trainer that you pay every month to tell you something that you know you're not going to do. You say, where intentionally in my life am I going to make changes today, tomorrow, this week? And guess what? It could hurt a little, right? might be painful, but you're going to ease the chaos, stop the confusion, and create a new culture that's God-centered, God-based, in a way that you can thrive so that transformation can happen in your life. I want to pray with you throughout this room, and if you're watching, let's, let's just pray together your heads are bowed. Maybe in this room somewhere you're just sitting and you would say, I want to I wanna kind of be in solidarity with you, Lee, in this, in this time. I'm just going to ask you just to shoot your hand up. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I'm fatigued. I'm worn out. That list I just read, you're like, that's all me right here in that moment. Just lift it up as I pray. That's, that's all we're going to do just to say I'm in solidarity with where you're at and I'm, I'm making a commitment today to make some changes. Father, we just pray right now in this time, in this moment, that you would move us to a place that's sustainable and God reflects the kingdom life that you would desire for us to have. Even if it's just a glimpse in this world, it's not the fullness of what we'll experience with you. God, that's what we want. God, I pray for husbands and wives and moms and dad. I pray for students in this room today. God, I just pray that we would have the courage and the boldness to be countercultural, that we would move away from conformity and move towards transformity in all areas of our life. God, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional or relational, God, set the bar for us in a place where we will be different. 
God, help us to replenish over rest. Help us to start making some deposits this week to invest in ourselves in the way that you would want us to, that the soil of our soul would be filled to overflowing with the nutrients of faith in you. God, that's our prayer and our desire. We ask these things in your name. Amen.